0: This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, I'm going to ask you who has the most
1: to gain with a win at UFC 252. We'll debate that. Plus, I'll give you a preview for the co-main event between Sean O'Malley and Chito Vera. And John Jones looms large over that main event at UFC 252. What is the best outcome in that fight to get Jon Jones back into the octagon afterwards? The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 1 p.m. East Coast time right here on Sirius XM Foundation Channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, LukeThomasShow at gmail.com. I'm looking forward to UFC 252, which will be on Saturday. And uh, you know what? It's funny. There's not a lot of buzz for this one despite the fact that there are pretty consequential fights, at least in the main and co-main. That's obviously to be given. But I mean, they're not just like consequential by virtue of their position. They're in that position by virtue of their consequence, right? Sort of a a little bit of a different scenario there. Here's what's kind of interesting, uh, if you think about it. Everyone who wins in the UFC always has something to gain, right? I mean, sort of straightforward. But when you start to think about who has the most to gain, who is it? The three top candidates would be, well, the four, really, would be Cormier, Stipe, O'Malley. You could throw Vera in there, again, to be clear, if you win, you gain a lot. I mean, that is not an especially controversial view, but what I mean to say is, all eyes are on O'Malley. So if you fulfill that, those expectations, you can build on them. They're not necessarily on Vera, which I'm not saying is right or wrong. I'm just sort of pointing out where the buzz is. So you would be kind of taking people by surprise, which is to say you'll gain, but not as much as O'Malley would if he won. The other interesting part about it all is the, is the one related to uh, the main event and who has more to gain because we've been framing the conversation a little bit differently Every part of the conversation that we have had has been a function of um, well, they're both uh, attempting to get the same thing, right? They both want the title. One guy has it, but you know that they're they're after one belt, or uh, more than that, they're after the title for let's say best UFC heavyweight, or if you really believe this, best MMA heavyweight. But they're but they're looking for the same objective standard. Now, granted, Stipe is coming to this one from a win. DC is coming to it from a loss against the other guy. So, you know, the belt is not exactly the same objective standard. But, you know, they're not chasing wildly different things here. One guy is not, you know, trying to, uh, you know, win by uh, getting out of the hole, and that's all he cares about. And the other one is trying to extend some kind of win streak or how many times they can avoid the takedown or you know a lot of this is just really overlapping so let's start the show there if we can 877 fight 93 877 344 4893 who has the most to gain with a win at UFC 252 is it Daniel Cormier is it Marlon Vera is it Steve Miocic is it Sean O'Malley? I would entertain another cl- like um, selection if you could really make a strong case for it. For example, JDS has been—he's on a two-fight losing streak. So maybe you feel like winning would be helpful to even having a career at age 36. Okay, you know, I would say that's really important, but that's not as high level. Uh, an opportunity for you know i mean we're talking like mount rushmore stuff with a win in the main event you know that's more important than just yes keeping employment is a condition for that but it's not as lofty a goal you know getting into college is impressive but magna cum laude is that's 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 where the winners are right so 877 fight ninety three eight seven seven three four 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 eight nine three. 877 344 4893 Who has the most to gain with a win at UFC 252? And I know what your thought is. Well, there's a belt on the line in the main event, so doesn't that exclude Sean O'Malley? I would be a little bit cautious about that. I don't think it's crazy to think that. And if you want to say objectively there's more, that's fine. It's okay. But I think folks are not... You need to be very careful about discounting what Sean O'Malley is up against. Ladies and gentlemen, I think for me, and I'm not telling you you have to feel this way. I'm just telling you how I feel. One of the most, if not the most exciting times in a fighter's career is when they are on the come up. And every time they go out there and win, they are shocking you with how good they are and forcing you to reimagine what is possible. Wow, man, can they beat, can they really beat X and then they do it? Can they really beat Y, and then they do it impressively? Can they really beat Z, and then they go out there and beat the brakes off of them? And then you begin to realize, wait a second, wait a second. We got somebody special on our hands here. Now, I don't know if that is going to happen with Sean O'Malley. But if he keeps beating opponents like he has been, especially one as credible as Chito Vera, who I have a high amount of respect for, who I think, by the way, is absolutely a live dog. But if he does that, ladies and gentlemen, he is going to be on a rocket ship. I am telling you he is going to be on a rocket ship. I always have somebody in mind. Whenever casual fans ask me, who is the hot new person I should pay attention to? Who's the fighter everyone is talking about? And they don't mean Conor McGregor, who they know. They don't mean, you know, she's no longer competing, but they no longer mean Ronda Rousey, who they know. They mean, who is somebody that the insiders know that the outsiders should be aware of? I'll give you a perfect example. Following UFC 200, I flew home that Sunday from Las Vegas to Washington, D.C. That was a consequential weekend, right? UFC 200, John Jones had his issues, and the UFC was sold. Remember that? We, we knew all of that before Monday morning. I went and did local radio, 106.7 The Fan here, on that Monday, and I remember them asking me, and this was UFC 200, this was like four years ago, who is somebody we should pay attention to that maybe we don't know about, that we haven't heard from? And I told them Khabib Nurmagomedov. Now, I'm not telling you Sean O'Malley will be in the same place if he beats Vera that Nurmagomedov was at that time, but that's who I would reserve the conversation for. Who am I going to bookmark as the reference point for someone to look out for When casual fans want to know, show me who's the hot new thing. Show me where. Show me where all the energy is. Now, I'm not saying by virtue of him taking that place in my vocabulary and in my language, he deserves to be taken. You know, in yours, in the same kind of way. I'm just pointing out. Do not underestimate how big a deal it could be if Sean O'Malley goes in there and does Sean O'Malley things to Chito Vera. It won't be the kind of lift that Nurmagomedov got beating Conor. No, it's not It's not that. And no, it won't put him on the Mount Rushmore. So in many ways, I understand that the consequence of the main event is bigger. But in terms of who can meaningfully add to their celebrity with a win on Saturday, Sean O'Malley has more opportunity here than anyone else on the card. What Cormier and Stipe are looking after are things like fight legacy and you know uh, status for insiders and uh, you know these sort of objective measurements of accomplishment in sport I'm not talking about that right now Sean's not at that stage in his career and if he loses to Vera he won't get there but if he wins ladies and gentlemen no one can take a bigger step forward as a function of their celebrity than Sean O'Malley that is not debatable
0: Everyone, this is Lisa Ann, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience. This is my chance to share with you my experiences, past and present, including how I went from living in the fantasy world of adult films to talking fantasy sports on SiriusXM. Each week, I'll introduce you to some of the people I've met on my journey and invite friends on to help me read through the endless ridiculousness that lands in my inbox. New episodes are available every Wednesday on the SiriusXM app and Apple Podcasts.
1: Previously, I had wondered if Alexander Gustafson, returning from retirement and moving up from light heavyweight to heavyweight, I thought, well, you know what? If he does well, that might, that might bring John back. Because I'm thinking to myself, all right, so DC goes up there, wins a title for crying out loud. That's his number one rival. Gustafson, another longtime rival, at least for, well, for a moment in time anyway, he was a big time rival. If he went up there and did well, it's not like John doesn't think he can do well, but you know, there's something to be said for just watching people who you've passed by begin to rack up accolades that you think you are entitled to, you know, nothing breeds innovation quite like competition, huh? So I thought if he goes up there and does well, that might, that, that you know, it could, it could move the needle a little bit, but then he goes up there and he gets wiped and I was like, well guess that's not it, but we we can't stop thinking about John in terms of his future, and why would you want to? He's the best light heavyweight ever, arguably the best fighter ever, certainly in that conversation as well, and he still has time left on the clock where he can do, you think anyway, big things. So how do we find a way to get him to do that? Saturday has to loom large in that consideration. It has to be a key ingredient in that. If anything is, Saturday must be. Now I know that John's objection is money, and not just uh, money, but sort of the principle of the matter as well. I'm going to sit out because I want Deontay Wilder money, and John's like, or excuse me, Dana White's like, well, he needs to, you know, he doesn't make Deontay Wilder money because he doesn't sell like Deontay, which is just not even close to true. Uh, he has outsold Deontay Wilder. Ten to one. I mean, it's, it, 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 this is big bank take little bank. 84s in candy paint, as Paul Wall might say. This is an easy call to make. But the issue is is money as a function of not just the total aggregate dollar value, but what, what what more money would say about him. I mean, listen to what Corey Anderson is saying. He wanted more money. They told him to pound sand. They told the same thing to John. It's like, let me get this straight. You're, you're telling the best light heavyweight champion you've ever had arguably the best fighter you've ever had to pound sand because he wants money commensurate with sales like they get in boxing. I mean, and he would even take less than what Deontay got. It's not like he's asking for exactly Deontay Wilder money. He would take less. And they still said no. But what we saw with the Jorge Masvidal situation is um, we saw something kind of interesting. We saw that, uh, granted, that was a little bit different, but he filled in at UFC 251 on short notice, but also said that they reworked his contract. And what happened? They sold a boatload, an absolute boatload of pay-per-views. I think, mean, what was it, 900,000 domestic, 1.3 globally? I mean, that is a raining money in the club kind of sales. Phone, Andre. But, um John doesn't have exactly all the advantages that Jorge does. Jorge has advantages by way of immediacy. They needed him on short notice. Okay, well, we're telegraphing this. That actually doesn't help John. But here's the point I'm trying to make. One of the other things that it seemed that got the needle to move for Jorge was that at Abu Dhabi in Fight Island, the government... The tourism board there apparently is paying for all of UFC's logistics, testing, transportation, and they're giving a site fee. My hunch is that they are giving a site fee not so they can get the leftovers of the fight cards. They want the premium ones. And to their point, they took a three-fight card with three title fights there um, for UFC 251. That is not an accident. They wanted those title fights there. They wanted the attention there. You got Dana White calling Abu Dhabi the fight capital of the world. So let's game this out a little bit, shall we? Phone lines are open. 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. Let's think about this for a second. What has to happen on Saturday to most likely take John out of, what do you want to call this, sabbatical, long vacation, timeout, Whatever you want to call it, we all want it to come to an end. How do we get there? My hunch is Jorge Masvidal had a little bit of leverage in ways that John doesn't. But John might have a little bit of leverage in the same way that Jorge did, which is there are people bankrolling this that just want to see it happen. So we'll give you the money to make it happen. John wants to go up to heavyweight. He wants to go up and fight Francis Ngannou. Or, you know, I would imagine if they offered him a third fight with DC or even Stipe, he would take it. I don't know that, but I'm imagining that. I think that what has to happen is the right offer from the people who bankrolled Fight Island has to come down. But then the other part has to happen, which is what is more likely to get him to go to heavyweight? A title shot would help, so you got more money, title shot. But then the question is, would he rather fight DC for a third time, for the first time at heavyweight? Or would he rather fight Stipe? Now, we're assuming that he wouldn't fight the loser of the upcoming main event. I'm assuming a scenario where it's either D.C. wins and he fights him, or I'm assuming it's uh, Stipe and he fights him. Now, I know what some of you might be saying. Well, Luke, isn't this supposed to be D.C.'s retirement fight? Yeah, funny thing about that. You know what? Intrepid reporter, college football tie, did some digging. found an interview that Javier Mendez did. And Javier Mendez, the coach at AKA, the coach of Daniel Cormier was asked if DC wins, do you think he sticks around for a trilogy fight with John Jones? Let's hear that audio, please. Javier Mendez cut one.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <You do. laughs> I think I think Uncle Dana's going to throw so much money at DC. DC's can't pass it up. DC loves money. Yeah, so I, I think that uh, that's going to happen. And I, I and I think, well, think about this. George Masvidal, they wouldn't give him nothing that he wanted until tell the right Money fight. You got to see the UFC is a great business. They know what they're doing. And hey, the numbers got to make sense for them. If they're going to make good money, they want to make sure they'll give you money, but they got to make sure they make money. But they're not going to share with you. You know, and then Jones fight is a great fight, but but it's not the big money maker that a DC or, or Miochik fight with him would be. So I think that uh, I think what's going to happen, in my opinion, is hopefully we are the winners. Mm-hmm. But the winner of this fight is is going to get Jones. I believe. I believe that. I believe that.
1: Oh, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Now, uh, you, by the way, did you play both cuts there? Was that both of them? That was just the one? Let me hear the other cut about the incentive UFC would have to make it happen. Cut two.
0: Because Jones showed interest. If Jones didn't show any interest in that, that's different. But I think the fact that he's shown interest and he says he ain't fighting until, right? Is that what he's saying? He's not fighting until he gets what he wants? Yeah, Yeah. Okay. Well, why would you want a major star like that sitting on the sidelines when you got two viable, great heavyweights that he could potentially fight for that huge payday?
1: right bingo that is exactly correct now the way that javier is phrasing it it sounds like they might offer that money and that opportunity to jones doesn't matter who wins and almost like jones would take it irrespective of opponent and maybe that's true but i i tend to think that one would be bigger than the other i tend to think that there is one outcome more than the other that would get that to happen. Now, it depends on Saturday, of course, not merely who wins, but I think it depends on how they win. How they win is a critical component to the story. You know, if it's like the first fight where one of them just goes in there and blows the doors off the other one, I just don't know how, you know, golly, man, that just seems like a virtual guarantee almost. I mean, I don't want to say it that way, but what what an opportunity that would be to get somebody out of retirement, right? Because the other person would be fresh. The interest would be high. You know, both guys would make a ton of cash. But, like, from a competitive standpoint, what is it that you think exactly that John Jones is is looking for here? Does he want to fight a guy twice? Or, or fight a guy for a third time, excuse me, that he's beaten twice? Or does he want to take on the fresh challenge? Because remember, if Stipe wins... Remember the argument that I made? The one ironclad, unassailable argument that you can make about Saturday is that if Stipe wins, there is simply no debate over who the best light heavyweight of all, excuse me, the best uh, heavyweight is of all time uh, in the the UFC. Who would be the best UFC heavyweight? Sorry, I botched that a little bit. He would be the best UFC heavyweight without, there's just simply no contest at that point. So, if you're John Jones and you get a chance to go up there and beat him, and that's your first fight at heavyweight, and you win, what does that make you?
0: Dan Patrick Radio is Sirius XM's home for Australian rules football. Walked into All Stars. Oh! Australian media icon Eddie Maguire for Aussie Football Rules America as he brings you the latest celebrity chats, tips and expert analysis of Australian football. Then, then stay tuned for the Aussie Rules Game of the Week. Kick the goal and Freeman will win it after the siren! It all starts Thursday at 6pm Eastern on Dan Patrick Radio, Channel 211 and the SiriusXM app.
1: Let's go now to my co-main event preview for UFC 252. Uh, as you guys know, I like to do this. I won't belabor the point because I don't know how um, illuminating it will be, but it's worth looking at the numbers first. So Marlon Vera taking on um, uh, Sean O'Malley. Here is what the, it looks like from a matchup standpoint. You've got O'Malley 12-0, and 0, Marlon Vera 15-6. and 6. O'Malley average fight time 7.5 minutes, Vera 10, uh, almost 11 minutes. Uh, O'Malley tall, 5'11 to Vera's 5'8. Obviously, they're both 135, a two-inch reach advantage for O'Malley. So he's taller and he's longer. It's going to be interesting. And both are switch dancer guys, and uh, O'Malley, obviously, I think 25 years old, uh, Vera 27. Uh, Listen to this. O'Malley, strikes landed per minute, 6.86. That is a crazy high number. Uh, 3.7 for Marlon, which is very good. Striking accuracy, nearly 60% for O'Malley, 50% for Vera. O'Malley does tend to get hit a lot, 3.75, less so now, but some of his older fights, Um, 4.11 for Vera. So Vera has a negative differential. Um, And then striking defense, very good for Sean O'Malley, 66% to 52 for Vera. Takedowns per 15 minutes, 1.18 for O'Malley, 0.88 for Marlon. It's not a huge part of either guy's game. Takedown accuracy, 50% for O'Malley, 42 for Chito. Takedown defense, O'Malley's could be better, 61%. Marlon Vera, 69%. And then submission average is the same, 1.2 to 1.3. Your last four fights in the UFC, because that's all O'Malley has had. A win over Wineland, a win Ki- over Quinones, a win over Andre Sukumtat, and a win over Terry and Ware. Marlon Vera had a loss to Yusong Yadong, but that is a very controversial one. He has a win over uh, Ewell, a win over Hernandez, a win over Signs, and a win over Guido Kinetti. Okay, so how do these two match up? This one is fairly straightforward, and it's not. Here's what I mean. Here's why it's straightforward. At least part of it is straightforward. If Chito gives O'Malley space, he loses the fight. Now, there are a bunch of ways to deny him space. But I'm just pointing out, to the extent that they sit at, at, at distance between each other, I just feel like that's not a great way for Marlon to win. That is a losing strategy because at distance, if O'Malley can change angles and he can faint to his heart's content and take whatever time he needs to set up combos and strikes and whatever, what everything you give this guy time. If you give someone enough space, that is a de facto way of giving them time, right? Because it takes longer to close that distance with a punch. If you're further away than if you're up close. So, uh, if you give someone distance, you give them time. And if you give them distance and time, buddy, they're going to be hard to beat. So that is just a straightforward way about this. Now, how does he solve that problem? Well, that's where it gets kind of interesting. The small cage here should help Marlin. This is why it's such a huge fight for O'Malley. Because not only is Marlin a credible opponent no matter what, but it's a credible opponent who I would argue has a little bit of the wind at his back with respect to the small cage. Now, that might not be enough for you to decide that Marlon can win if you wanted to bet. Fine. I'm not making a prediction with this segment. I'm just pointing out there are some factors here you should consider when thinking about this contest. The relative small size of the cage is absolutely one of them. And in trying to solve that problem, there's a couple things he might try to do. He's got decent wrestling he might try to go for that, at least as a function of pushing O'Malley into the fence. If you can shoot on someone's legs, they can stuff the takedown, but you can just use that to establish contact. Use the contact to drive them to the fence and then use that for what's called, you know, brawl and maul. Or, excuse me, what's it called? It's called wall and maul, right? You're pressing them up against the cage wall and then using that to batter them there. Um, just outright in the clinch itself, you know, battering him from there, slowing him down, going to the body heavy, uh, maybe cutting him elbows over the top. That could be a way to do it. Um, pressuring him backwards. Generally, he can strike moving backwards. But again, Eddie Wineland gave this dude a million, you know, uh, feet to just do his work. And he got you know, he got his lights turned out for it. You can't do that. So to me, it's got to be about smart pressure forward. It's got to be about level changing. It's got to be about fainting. It's about finding a way to the body lock or to the legs. It's about pressing into the fence. It's working from the clinch. Um, It's working from on top. I would not pull guard if I was him. Uh, That kind of a thing. It can be done, but you have to make it ugly and up close and dirty boxing and all the things that sort of the refined, slick, shoulder roll, you know, footwork angle kind of style that O'Malley has, you got to put the pieces in place that take all of that away. And how you solve that is up to you. Do you want to wrestle him for 15 minutes? You can try that. You want to press him up against the cage for 15 minutes? You can try that. You can try the Khabib thing where you try to take him down, and as he gets up, you know, you just pound on him from various spaces in between, right? I mean, there's just a lot of things you can do. But uh, how he solves that, to me, is is what determines the fight. And if he doesn't have a good answer for it, uh O'Malley's gonna tear him up on the feet. It's not that I think Marlon's a bad striker. Dude, Marlon, here's the part about it that makes it also kind of interesting. Marlon has a good chin. Marlon took all of lineker's punches and then some. And and you know, he's hard to he's I don't very hard to hurt, very hard to knock down. I'm telling you guys, Marlon Farah is a credible, credible opponent legit threat. Only 27 years old himself. Why is that relevant? Not just because he's young and in shape. Guys at that age get better in dramatic ways, fight over fight. When you're 37, you kind of are who you are. When you're 27, it's a new surprise every time. So, space, distance, time. That is what this fight comes down to. If O'Malley can keep it, his fight to lose. If if uh, if Vera can find a way to get rid of it, it's his best chance to win.
0: Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from three to six p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation channel one fifty six. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.